Grow stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit. Adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right. Um, remarkable st- story coming up today with Command Master Chief Brown, abbreviated CMC for those that don't know, um, before his his name and whatever he does in the Navy, uh, CMC Brown. So used to be a senior Chief Brown when I knew him back in the day. Um, good mentor to me. He was one of my Naval Academy senior enlisted leaders. He was the senior enlisted leader that I had there. Um for those that don't know, the, the Naval Academy is divided into 30 companies. And uh, Senior Brown was my 21st company senior enlisted guy. Um, he also encouraged me to take on the 21st company student company commander role in the back half of my senior year, which originally I, I had no interest in. So on, on we grow. Um, today, CMC Brown serves as the command senior enlisted leader for the Navy Hospital in Naples, Italy. His journey spans a gamut of 13 different billets or jobs. Uh, he deployed seven times to the Pacific, Atlantic, Middle East. Uh, raised in the sunny streets of Redlands, California, and graduated from Redlands High School uh, to the vast um, expanses of the oceans today in the Navy. From early life, you know, bit of an entrepreneur, ran a paper route at the age of 11. That was pretty cool. Um, selling papers, mowing lawns, pulling weeds, car car washing, you know, just, just getting out there and doing the work. Got a bachelor's degree in business and leadership and management from Florida State College in Jacksonville. Uh, hobbies, woodworking, photography, running, writing, working out. Um, he's committed to uh, his community. Um, and his faith is evident in his leadership of a men's Bible study uh, and his work with a local immigration shelter and involvement in the local church. Uh, a little bit of what we'll get into today is, is truth throughout his life. And he's grappled with the complexities of truth, understanding the power um, that both bind and free. So can't wait to hit more of your life experience today, but um, jumping into memory section. So here we go. The first two were from people one class behind me at the academy. The next three were in my uh, in my class in 21st Company. So for the listeners, that 30 companies thing, that's that was the, the breakdown there. Uh, first one, Jason Morris, Morin. He's a class behind me. He was a Mustang, so enlisted to officer type of program. So enlisted prior to coming to uh, the Naval Academy, graduated. Uh, you probably had a lot to do with that for him. So uh, <laughs> he said, Senior Chief Brown was good at relating to the midshipmen. Uh, value that stood out to him was obviously it was leadership. He made sure that we were on the path to the next level. Uh, you know, a lot of people say it, but not a whole lot do it. And and that's something that stood out to him for, from you. Uh, you acted in a capacity without a, a company officer and, and during the death of a classmate. 
of his. Uh, he was able to get your, uh, you were able to get his final exams moved and pushed out because of that event. Um, seeing that he wasn't an academic genius there is what he said. So uh, I think he thinks that it helped him prepare better to pass that exam. So uh, he also said, you're a bit of a hard ass on us sometimes, but I think we needed it looking back. All right, next one, Joe Carroll. Um, he said, I have nothing but fond memories of Senior Chief Brown, smart, mature, empathetic, and selfless. Uh, he's a great first first example for a bunch of us soon to be officers of what a good senior enlisted um, person looks like guidance counselor almost um i genuinely remember being a second lieutenant getting into my first platoon thinking back on the academy days preparing uh, appreciating him even more so uh, another thing that sticks out at the end of this first year uh of my first year sorry joe was approaching his senior year that that time I took a few of you out on a run uh, around the yard, uh, kind of a collective company commander interview. Uh, so backfilling what I was was holding at the time. I think Joe ended up landed that one, right? Wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, David. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and the whole time on that run, he was like grilling, grilling um, the candidates about the company, what 21st was doing well, where can we improve, what we could do better. Um, what could the midshipman leadership do better, et cetera. The point was made. It wasn't about us. It was about making the unit better. Uh, and peer leadership is tough. That's something that he said that, you know, you help coach all of those guys through, but him specifically. And he truly appreciated the positive impact that he had on uh, his career in life. So, and right now I'm going to try a new thing I've never done before. I'm going to share my screen and show a photo of that class oh so here we go there we are senior chief brown uh oh, always, always under right yeah with that uh that. 2011 group so that's pretty neat joe shared that with me all right so those are the the young ones uh, next three from my class, Baird Nunn Roberts, my roommate. Uh, impression of him was always really high, well-spoken, reasonable leader. His guidance and decisions always made sense. Uh, next one, Garrett Alstad. Awesome dude. Um, memory. I think we had a dining out at Buddy's or someplace first a year towards the end of the night. He sent all the underclass back to the hall for curfew or whatever. Uh, and as he was doing that, he took their unfinished beer pitchers and brought them over to the firsty table, which was great. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Value. Um, he always held us to the highest standards while also remaining relatable and approachable. Another good one. Um, I think that's hard, a hard balance to strike as a leader, but he did it with authenticity. Looking back on it, he's a guy you hope you get paired with as a, a young, new J.O., junior officer. Uh, hope he and his family are doing well. Last one, James Long. He's a bit of a goofball back in the day, but I think he became a Navy SEAL. Um, he said, thinking back on our time at the Academy, there are a few leaders that stand out. Senior Chief Brown was one of them. Um, I affectionately remember him that he stands out in my mind as a prime example of servant leadership. Um, as I recall, 
we were first introduced to Senior, uh, as he allowed us to call him during the time, uh, when it was our chance to serve in leadership roles in 21st Company, I'll never forget, he set the, he set the bar for us, set the example. Uh, it seemed like he was always around to be there for us, not to bark orders or administer protocols, but to mentor, encourage, and invest in us uh, and the future of the Navy. He was there at formation. Uh, he was there when we got our service selection, smile on, on his face to share the joy. Uh, he was there in King Hall during breakfast, noon and night. Uh, he was there in Midland, Texas, uh, yeah. after we lost uh, uh, a peer, Patrick Whalen. One of the examples of leadership he, we witnessed at, at Naval Academy, Senior Chief Brown, is one that I will never forget. Uh, last one, he said, I'm uh, pretty sure he was also there when you, he, talk, he said, when uh, talking about me, when you, you manhandled a second class guy, uh, when we were sophomores, uh, the dude, so the dude was stealing money from folks throughout the entire company. Um, and I kind of put him up against the wall. I said, stop it, stop. But he said, not sure that I would have been able to administer some Lone Star justice had we had a different, more politically focused senior enlisted advisor. <laughs> I know there was a lot of different types of justice that went on in the hall. I'm not uh, naive, or at least I've heard after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. That's the memory section. So it's story time. Command Master Chief Brown. Lay it on us. What do you Start want to hear? Beginning. I want to hear like, hey, where'd you come from? How'd you grow up? Oh man. Um you know, when I think about it, um, you know, you, you kind of hit it on the head, you know paper out at the age of 11, which seems kind of unheard of now, you know, I couldn't imagine my 11 year old getting yeah, up in the, the morning and all the parents, all the other parents would be looking at you funny, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I used to get up and fold papers and get on a bicycle and, and it wasn't barely light outside and I'd be riding a rat, you know, throwing papers before, before school. This is like middle school. So I think that kind of just, you know, I don't know. That just kind of really sums me up. You know, I was always uh, looking to not not be satisfied with my situation because you know we did come from a very humble beginnings, and 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 I and I, I want to be careful not to really bash my parents or um, it's not. I try not to do that. Um, but you know, you know, they make they make decisions in your life, and I, I tell everybody when I talk about these kind of things, you know, there's there's circumstances and consequences, and and circumstances are things that you don't control, it's things that just kind of happen to you, you know, the cards you're dealt. And uh, my circumstance was, I was a uh, one of three boys raised by a single mom, and we all have different different fathers, and none of us knew our dads, and. So with that as challenges, but uh, I guess I just never really wanted to accept that, I guess, you know, kind of look at my surroundings and think, you know, what can I do differently? What can I, how can I, how can I get a pair of shoes or how can I get a pair of pants that I want or how can I get a bicycle, you know? And uh, when I look back, you know, there were good years. There was like peaks and valleys. There were good years and there were bad years. And I always love to tell my kids, because I have four kids, I, I like, I'd love to tell my kids a story about the Christmas that we didn't get anything, no presents, and 
And uh, there, you know, there were tough years like that too. And so I always looked for ways to, you know, just to try to do something try to, so yeah, everything from wash cars to deliver papers to mow, mowing grass to picking weeds, you know, whatever I could do to, to land a dollar. And you know, I mean, half the time I probably blew it. And then the other half, I would, if I was set on a goal, I would like a bike or whatever, I would, I would aim towards that goal and get it. But that was pretty much me from, from, from a, a young kid, man. And then, um, you know, and then as I got older and in really through my adolescent years, there's a there's one thing that my family did really the right thing. Well, there's two things that did, I, I think they did really well. There's probably more actually, but two things that stick out was they put us in church and, uh, you know, that we would go to church as a, as a young family. And I think there's where I really got influenced by a lot of good people, a lot of good men, a lot of good women. And, uh, had a really hand in my life to kind of guide guide me and, and and mentor me outside of my family unit and uh, always gave me something to aspire to look up to and it's where it came to you know came to faith and came into belief in god and, and who who he was and was just really really drawn to uh to who god was uh, at a young age um and then you know they had me going to camp and you know, the camp experiences and, um, oh, what happened to you? There you go. There was the camp experiences and all that growing up. So that was pivotal in my, in my youth, in my, my young age. Uh, but unfortunately, um, as I got older, my family situation kind of eroded and imploded and, uh, so as my my mom and my had a stepdad at a the time, they they kind of went separate ways. Things just kind of fell apart in our home, and and you know anybody that's gone through divorce as a kid can you know knows what I'm talking about. You know, the, the the yelling, the screaming, waking up in the middle of the night. And I was a middle kid of of the three brothers, so I kind of was like trying to hold everything together. And uh, but after a while, it wears on you, and you get tired of it. And, and then at some point you just look for a way out and and that's kind of what what where i got to in my young adult life young young life i was like how can i get out of the situation i'm just what just, age were you around that time uh i think i was around 16. okay i was so just almost, like you know i'm running almost at a graduation type of years yeah. so yeah i was i was pretty uh pretty fortunate you know i i started early and uh so which meant I, I could finish early and uh started early and, in the navy no well yes but i started early in school so i could finish oh, early, in school. early got it yes okay. yes yeah all my kids are like that too yeah so and then um as as i got older one you know kind of stepping back a little bit one thing i did have when i was really young was my grandfather and i would say he was a huge influence in my life about joining the military he he was a world war ii veteran served in Papua New Guinea in the army, uh, was wounded in battle and, and eventually was discharged. If you know the history about Papua New Guinea, we got our butts kicked by the Japanese, but he got wounded there and discharged out of there. And, but I, I just remember the stories as a small kid, he would always talk to me about the war and he, he still had his bayonet, his rifle and all kinds of stuff. And so I always remember those, those stories and he really inspired me to serve and, and, uh, so as I got older and I was looking for a way out, 
that just seemed like the obvious choice for me. And school, I wasn't very disciplined in school at the time. Uh, just didn't have a lot of focus. And so I convinced my mom to sign me over and she, she agreed and she signed me over to the Navy. And I, I left for boot camp at the age of 17 and, and, uh, and I'm still here <laughs> 29 years, almost 29 years later, I'm still here. That's crazy. So that kind of, that's the short version of, uh, kind of why I joined the military. Gotcha. So then you, you get in, you do the boot camp thing and, um, first job. So your MOS coming out was what damage control or what was yeah. Yeah, so Dan, so I actually joined the Navy to be a corpsman, a Navy corpsman. That's what I wanted okay. to do really bad. But uh, when you get to the place, it's called MEPS, um, where they process you, do the physicals, you know, all the the checks they do. Um, you go to like what build, it's called building, and and they uh, and they offer you jobs. And so when it, when it came to the time where I was like, hey, I want to be a Navy corpsman. Uh, they were like, uh, yeah, we don't have that available. You got to pick these, one of these 10 choices. That's what they tell you. That's what they make you believe. But when you're 17, you just, you just you take whatever they say. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so I just, I call that the MEPS two-step. And so they led me in the dance and I signed up for the thing that sounded the coolest. And I took the job and, but it, you know, it worked out. It worked out. Okay. I became a damage controlman. Uh, which is like an engineer on the ship with a little edge of firefighting, basically. Um, so that's what I did. I was, a, I was a ship guy for most of my career. Got it. Yeah. Um, I, and as you climb the ranks and you kind of change jobs and you get really a diverse type of perspective on everything. And But back when you were damage control, any fun things out of that that stick out to you? Like, I mean, I really enjoyed this or anything. You know, um, when you're young, especially when you're like 18, 19, um, and I'm, I know anybody can attest to this, it's you just do stupid stuff. And, and back in those days in the 90s, the ships were manned with all men. And so a bunch of men that are young just do dumb stuff, you know. And uh, so there's a lot of fond memories of port calls and just running the town or, you know, working late at night and just goofing off as guys are beating each other up. Um, you know, young men have a lot of energy and sometimes that energy comes out lots of ways. And, yep. uh, and, and we were definitely weren't, uh, uh, we weren't definitely, uh, you know, uh, avoiding that essentially. So we definitely would look for lots of ways to get that energy out, which was wrestling or um, we called it uh, Royal Rumble. That's what we used to call that uh, back yeah. in those days. Yeah. And would so you do that like Royal... in the birthing area or what? Oh, man. Yeah. There were Royal Rumbles all over the place. Get it? Gotcha. And, uh, you know, but that's what I mean, that's what young guys do. They they, they look to beat each other to, to you. You can't take it anymore, but then your best friends after, you know, and yeah. and. Uh, but yeah, yeah, good times. Good, good stuff. Um, in your younger years, any key turning points in your life that stand out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not necessarily a positive. So yeah, well, turning points typically aren't, but 
No. Uh, no. Sometimes no. I guess they can be. Um, so when I was uh, about two years in my first enlistment, I was on a ship. We were deployed. And uh, we did what's called a swim call. So a swim call is when the ship's out in the ocean, you know, it stops everything it's doing, locks the screws, you stop pumping sewage, which is, you know, you don't want to swim in sewage. You know, all those things you do so that way you're generally in a beautiful place, right? Clear waters or some just exotic place. Um, and uh, and uh, we did a swim call in the Indian Ocean. I think we were off the coast of... Uh, Somewhere in Africa, I think at the time, and so we did a swim call, and uh, I was—I think I was 19 at the time—and we were doing all young men trying to outdo each other, trying to one up each other with some flip or or whatever the case may be. And so on the ship, we were jumping off the back, which is called the the fantail, and it's about a 20-foot drop, and and uh, there's this thing called a screw guard, which is a, a metal rail that protrudes out from the ship and what it does is it protects the ship from the the tugboats hitting the screws it's a screw guard so they tried their best to say hey nobody jump right here and they taped it off but after a while you, you know i guess we just we kind of forget and, you know and it's uh diagonal jumping that day maybe oh uh, yeah so anyway <laughs> long story short um i got had a bad accident and it was preceded by, hey, watch this, guys. Um, I, in my mind, <laughs> I saw myself running. I was going to jump into a handstand and catapult myself off into a flip dive 20 feet down. That's how it was in my mind. Yep. Um, and what happened was I, I didn't let go. I guess gravity kicked in. Maybe the inertia kicked in. My body went all the way around, and and once I hit the ship, because I went all the way around, hit the ship, and I went straight down. And unfortunately, it was above that guard. Mm. And uh, so my knee hit it first, and then my abdomen hit it. And let's just say I never hit the water. And uh, I'm just ouch. Yeah, yeah, ouch. Ouch is very yeah. There's there's a there's a picture out there somewhere, and and would you know it? Every once in a while, I run into somebody and they. That's the first thing they tell me. <laughs> I kid you not. I, I yeah. happened a couple of years ago. I ran into a guy who was a he was a gunner's mate who went uh, across over to the officer side. Became he's a commander. Actually, still in. And uh, first thing out of his mouth is, "Man, I remember when you hit the screw guard." I was like, "You gotta be kidding me, man!" It's like, that was it's like twenty there, years ago, man. There's a few things that'll follow you around forever. Oh, I guess that's okay. one of them. That's one of them. So I got taken off the ship. I got medevaced off the ship and began a journey back to the States uh, through Africa in Italy. Uh, and I spent a, a good couple of years on like a limited duty status. And, and basically my whole life came to a screeching halt. Uh, I reset my life. And, and because I was, I was really kind of heading down the wrong path. I was hanging out with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, getting involved with the wrong kind of things and stuff and trying to hang out with the cool kids, you know, and, and really, you know, stepping away from my faith and, uh, you know, it was just not good. And so it's funny when I look back, it's, it's almost like a, a grand reset that's pulling yep. the strings and said, Nope, this is not the direction you're going to go. And, 
by the way, you're going to, you're going to be put on hold for a couple of years and figure some things out. So that was pretty pivotal in my early in my career and my, my life. Gotcha. Do you have any mentors through that event? Or th- yeah, yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Um, not good mentors. Maybe, well, I mean, maybe on the rebound, like when you, when you came back. Yeah, no. Um, you know, there were a lot of good mentors at the time. Um, that, you know, that's one thing I've been really good about doing. You know, I, somebody asked once asked me like, how, how, how is it that I've done so well in life coming from circumstances that I came from? And I just, and, and when I think about it and I, the answer I ended up giving the individual was, in uh actually the question was is how did you how did you end up the way you did without a father and uh and i said it's because i had many fathers in my life and so i've always been good about looking for father figures in different places and different points in my life so yeah i've always found either with uh, a guy named jack was an old world uh sorry old vietnam veteran that was still kind of hanging around in that same time frame tick manner's wing and jack was a little crazy a little off the kilter one of those old Vietnam Agent Orange guys, and uh, he took me under his wing and made me a locksmith of all things, and, and uh, just I spent a lot of time with that guy and listening to his stories. Got got pretty close with him and taught me the trade of locksmithing, and and really the next two years I just spent a lot of time with that guy. I actually don't even know where he's at now, but yeah, yeah, gotcha. He's, he's one that sticks out. Good old Jack. Cool. Um, favorite command. You've been to a lot of places, you know, 13 different places. Um, did you ever have like a, a killer team, best team you're a part of, favorite type of deal there? I know you're in one, and but like across the full spectrum. Every, you know, every, every, every situation is different. There's good parts of every, I would say most memorable group or team that is fond and i still talk to a lot of those guys is the first crew the first ship you know um awesome you know those group of guys I mean, some of those guys are actually none of those guys are in the military anymore i'm the only one and uh but i still i either see them or i talk to them i share text messages or phone calls or whatever the case may be that's the most memorable and i think we bonded the most uh that group of guys we deployed together we we worked late together. We, you know, uh, I hate to say the word bled together. We didn't bleed together. Uh, but, you know, you just really bonded. We, we sealed yeah. it in for life. That's the most memorable group, that first ship. So, uh, cool. But, um, you know, this, the, if I'm being selfish, the, for me, the, the most cherished and, and hands down, and I tell people all the time when they come in office because it's, it's the Naval Academy, you know? Um, like what a really cool opportunity to go there. Um, I really had no business being there, um, but someone gave me a shot, gave me a chance, and man, what a special place. And, you know, talk to guys like you still, you know, 15, 12 years later, and, uh, Still running to guys. Uh, my last command, I had one of uh, uh, one of one of the uh, midshipmen from my last command was a department head, and cool. seeing him all grown up with three boys, uh, watching him still do his, the same stuff he did twelve years before that, 
And yeah, you know, I still run into him. Well, you know, actually, there's one guy here uh, uh, from that time, uh, Chris awesome. Rowland. I don't know if you remember Chris Rowland. Um, Maybe you're the. I think he's a tank, about... tank grad. Um, yeah, he's here, and so it's just, you know, they're everywhere, and it, it's it's so cool to run into these guys, girls, see them all grown up, and listen to their stories about kids and career, and, and it's just really neat to know that man, I had just a small part of that, you know, at some point in their life. It's like, man, uh, so that's definitely cherished for me personally. Um, I mean, things like. Uh, Hey, part of my job is going to the football. Yeah. Marching through town alongside the midshipmen. Um, and one of the coolest things I got to do was every once in a while, a parent would come to town uh, and I'd say, hey, why don't you come march with us? And I'd have them march alongside with me. And they, th nice. they just thought I was the coolest thing, you know, um, just to march alongside the company. And I would say, yeah, just, just stay with me. Don't worry about it, you know. Um, uh, you know, that's just so cool. So neat. Nice. Um, being being part of the community. Yeah. You know, watching you guys, watching, you know, watching you guys play in the field. Every once in a while, I get a chance to go on the field. That was kind of cool. But Or just being in the stands with Joe Schmo, Mitch Shimon, you know, then watching them just put every bit of energy into the game. And, and my memory is like, you know, uh, when we almost came back and, and beat Notre Dame in Baltimore that one year, that, uh, that, Oh, that was that was just so much excitement. It started raining, I think, and just watching yeah. that place come unglued. I think everybody was leaving. Like the the stadium emptied out, and it was just the midshipmen and a few of us. And you guys made a run, and started coming back, and it was like touchdown, get the ball back, touchdown, and it started like getting closer and closer. I think that was Notre Dame, and uh, we lost, but it was just that place just came unglued, especially when the rain came down. Oh my gosh. It was yeah. just neat to it's just neat to sit there and watch. It's like wow, like like that is so cool. Um man, I mean there's just so many stories, you know. Um so many touch points. Uh where they trust you, they 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 rely on you. Um I, I can probably count on one hand the amount of fathers that passed away during that time. And I'm the first one they call and um, you know, you stop everything you're doing. You just you, you go there. You know, you go there where they are, and and you just hug them. You know, you know, yep. there's there's some memories like that, and uh, you know, those are tough. You know, and uh, no doubt. Um, or yeah, like you know, watching a company, the whole brigade, kind of rally around uh, what happened with the uh, um. Uh, that young lady, uh, Kirsten Dickman, I believe, um, yeah. um, just watching that kind of unfold. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, I, I can keep going, man. There's so many stories. I just feel blessed that I got to be there and be a part of it. Yeah. And, uh, it was almost like I was along for the ride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it was pretty cool. Definitely feel the same way um deployment story any standout deployment stories yeah man, you got many of them oh uh, my gosh no that's easy <laughs> covid man oh my god i was like my, it was down my list but i saw that 11 months on was it a carrier yeah or 
Yeah. So, uh, gosh, man, I still got, I still got issues from that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But who, I mean, you know, we were supposed to deploy in summer of 2020. That was the plan, right? Uh, but then this thing called pandemic kind of unfolded before everyone's eyes, right? The whole world. And really the turn of 19 to 20, and uh, we were doing our workups in like Nevada and uh, off the coast of California. There's a little island called San Clemente. We're doing all of our little workups to prepare. And we're just kind of seeing it. It's like a, it's like a drumbeat. And you can, and the, the beat gets louder and louder. And, and uh, Jumanji. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Like that. Or, or, um, some, I think I heard it somewhere else. Maybe it was on a podcast. Someone, or maybe it says, it's like uh, Lord of the Rings when, when the, the enemies come in, the drums are beat and stuff. That's kind of yeah. what it felt like. Um, uh, and, uh, it just seemed like once once the government and the military uh, put the gauntlet down and said, "Hey, nope, we're going to we're going to go to this crisis mode for uh, not spreading this unknown thing." Um, that meant that our our life got very difficult, and very hard, and and it, what seemed what we did a thousand times before, what I've done seven times before. It just everything got thrown out the window, and literally from day to day, it was what's changed, what's hour to hour. Sometimes, what do we have to do now? And and what happened was uh, we, in uh, an, an effort to try to contain the spread of this stuff, you know, they they started implementing all these policies of isolating and sequestering and uh, quarantining. Which the, the truth is, is nothing new. It's something that we've done many times in our history. I mean, you can even read the Bible, and some of the things that we did during COVID is actually in the Bible too, which is interesting. Um, but um, it's uh, we just had to on the fly, you know, the command leadership, and in, in, I'm part of that as a command master chief and part of the command leadership. You get the orders from up on up high and. It doesn't make any sense and you sift through the plethora of policy that's coming out literally every day and we you know you try to sift through all that as a command lead and you've got 330 people waiting for your next order and and then oh by the way you're trying to get all those people in that equipment and that aircraft on board a aircraft carrier to deploy overseas and so uh, it, it just got super hard uh, yeah and uh now you have me think back to give me think back to those days too because a smaller scope but when i uh ran a plant uh, i had to do the exact same things come out every day all right someone's positive follow all these things it's like always oh. on yeah. yeah yeah gosh man i mean sometimes i felt like we were in a movie you know uh I remember we had a we had a test the whole like the whole air wing which is about 1800 people had a test before we even got on board a ship because you got to think back at the same time there was something else going on in the news with the uh, another ship in guam uh, i think it was a theodore roosevelt and they had their own uh challenge that kind of unfold and they were kind of like the guinea pig 
of what to do, how to control it, and it got it kind of really spread pretty bad. And if you don't, if you remember, call an, an actual sailor died on the ship from COVID or from the effects of COVID, and um, so it got real serious, right? And that that I think that really struck a chord through the through the Navy that hey, this is something we need to take serious, especially what happened on that ship and how quickly it spread. I mean, if you think about it, you five thousand people on a ship, you know. It's it's very difficult to manage, right? It's yeah, stuff is everywhere. No doubt. Right? Inside of a big shoebox. Absolutely. Right. Water. Yep. Yep. You know, I mean, it's just everywhere. So um so we had a test and we literally had to plan out to the finest detail how we're gonna get three hundred people from a hotel on base into seventeen different vans to a hangar in cohorts without them crossing each other and then slowly into a process in a, in an aircraft hangar with corpsmen waiting that are in like hazmat suits from a movie. Like they're yeah. walking into a radioactive site. Was that and, the uh, outbreak? I think I yes. watched outbreak during the yes. pandemic just because that, <laughs> that's what it looked like. So we felt like we were in a movie, like what is going on here? And, uh, and we had to do that two times before we got on board the ship, everybody in the airway had to do that. And then um, once we got the all clear, even to get on board the ship when the ship came, because the ship came down from Washington and then we had to embark the ship and uh, they they quarantined off part of the base and they only brought in, it was just, just madness. It was, I've never seen anything yeah. like that in my career. The and your, process, role, your role in that was what? My role was at the time. At the time was as a command master chief. Uh, so my role okay. was to support the command leadership, command team, um, ensure that the the senior enlisted and all the enlisted are carrying out the uh, the orders that are literally the last order. We're going to follow the last order, right? Yeah. And it's so everything you were, from. You were flooded. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's basic things like, and this is like, we're impacting families too. So it's basic things like a good example at the time was, okay, everybody, um, we're going to, the plan is we're going to all go home for 10 days and they're going to stay at home. So buy food to stay in your house for 10 days. I'm, this is, I'm making this up. This is what the plan was. Yeah. And, go home and stay in your house for 10 days. Right? And, yeah. and, and that to everybody, that was a great plan. Morale is high. Let's go home for 10 days. And, and spend quality time with our family. So we implemented the plan. And I think we got about two or three days into it and plan changed and said, nope, we're going to move every, and, and a lot of it was driven by money, right? So as you know, in the military, it's a lot of bureaucracy. And, and so a lot of times money drives a lot of things. So the plan came through, the money came through, we're going to move everybody on base and we're going to quarantine everybody in a hotel on base. So three or four days into it, I had some families quit their jobs uh, because we were asking them to quarantine their family. So some people quit their jobs to do that. Uh, some people stocked up on a thousand dollars worth of food and uh, to really hunker down. And then within a few days, we had to be the unfortunate uh, bearer of bad news. Like, Hey, change all that. Everybody say goodbye to your families and lay out the dates. Hey, the first wave, you're going to come on, check in on this day, the next wave, next wave, next wave. And just trying to manage that and the flood of questions that you don't have answers for, um, the angry, the 
the the angry families, the the hurting families, the crying families. You know, uh, it, it was it was hard, man. I had never done anything hard like that in my, in my entire career. And yeah. uh, and then the next step is, hey, okay, we're now we're all on base. Now uh, you can no longer have your car, so we they had to give the cars away. So they had to rely completely on we had cohorts of vans to get them methodically from point A to point B so that we could prepare and maintain a bubble, which, uh, you know, when you don't know what you're dealing with and, you know, trying to maintain the integrity of the crew that you need to get on board the ship. Cause Oh, by the way, at the same time, ships were pulling it apart because they, they couldn't keep COVID off ships. And so, which, you know, extremely uh, inhibits the Navy from deploying a force to, you know, to do our nation's business, right? That's what it boils down to. You know, one of the greatest things about what we do is, um, you know, we deploy. We deploy all the world, and we, uh, and that's part of our diplomacy is having forces on the ready. And if we can't do that because of COVID, that's a problem. So at the time, I believe we were, we had a couple strike groups that were out for a long time, and they were kind of being held over. Uh, the Truman was kind of unfolding at the time, and all this was open forum. It was blowing up the media. Yeah. Um, so we were just like, hey, our our charge was, hey, guys, let's do this. Let's relieve those guys that are trying to get home to their families that have been gone for, uh, I, th I think the time the, one of the one of the strike groups was out for 10 months, and they got they got uh, extended and extended and extended. So and I think one strike group was sitting off the coast of Virginia for like a month, just staring at the coast. Uh, yeah. but you know like a lot of shipping containers were at the time yeah. yeah yeah and 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 those are the right decisions if you think about it you've got to have a strike group ready to go and 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 they're they're contained off the coast and there's no COVID, so we keep them there um so we're just like hey that's our let's get it let's get make sure we're healthy let's get out there so to make that happen to maintain that quarantine that bubble that man that was that was the hardest thing i ever did man it was so, so, so hard. It's uh, probably, and it's one of my biggest change management uh, um, teachers, for sure. Uh, it sounds like it is for you as well. Yeah, sure. yeah. I think I, I think someone, my, my CEO said it best. It's like I, I gave everything I had in the tank before the start of the deployment, and I still had to deploy for 11 months or whatever. It was just, it, it was so taxing it was very taxing no doubt all right let's liven it up a little bit your uh what are your critical key habits um to success you know what do you fall back on what are your you know uh, when the stuff's going down you know one uh, a good habit i picked up uh, about 10 years ago was was writing journaling i'm a big writer uh you know when's I, the book coming out i'll buy it <laughs> Man, some of that stuff you don't want to get published, man. <laughs> um, That's some um, good stuff. Oh my gosh, I, I told my I told my wife, babe, you might not want to read some of that stuff. <laughs> There's, <laughs> I mean, I, I've I've kept everyone, and I've got, I mean, like, there's, I'm on my tenth volley, and and so I picked that habit up, uh, you know, really out of necessity because the time I was really going through a difficult time in my life. Uh, and, uh, and so just, I went, you know, I was doing what I was supposed to do again, going to counseling, getting help. Um, 
getting some advice, getting reached out to mentors. And, and that's one of the things that was consistent was, hey, journal, journal. And I remember the first time it was posed to me uh, by one of the guys I looked up to. He was like, hey, have you, have you journal? And I, I actually, I think I laughed out loud. And because uh, I was like, why do I want to keep a diary? That's stupid. And um, that's for girls. I'm going to write a diary. Uh, but I, I didn't really understand the value of it at the time. But then I slowly picked it up. You know, it would be like a sentence on this day. And then maybe a couple yeah. weeks later, maybe another sentence. And, and that was like in 2012 was when I first kind of hobbled into it. 13 got a little bit better. And then 14, 2014 is when I really, the light bulb really went off on my brain. And I, I realized, because I didn't buy a journal for the new year. And I had already gone, I think it was February of 14. And I, I felt like something was missing. And I knew what it was. It was I wasn't writing. And uh, so from that point on, I've, I've been pretty devout uh, every day. Awesome. And I can't think of a day. I, I mean, I couldn't imagine a day without it, to be honest. Just it helps yeah. the process. I kind of started doing that too. I got these uh, full focus planners that I use. And it used to be all very task oriented every yeah. day. And then it became like a sentence and then it became a couple of sentences. And then it was like, Oh, I might want to come back to this one day. And there yeah. was a sentence and a highlight. So like I can read some quick, you know, with this whole AI thing, maybe one day you could take your, your uh, journals and scan them in. It writes the book for you. And then you go back and cut it out. But yeah, maybe I don't know. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's, there's so much. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I've said there's so much good stuff uh, that comes out that I've read about just the, you know, the neuroscience behind writing with pen and paper. Because I, 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 I like to do it old school, pen and paper. Yeah. And less distractions. It actually engages your, your brain. And, um, and then that, this guy up here, the PFC, right? The prefrontal cortex. That's the, the, the breaking <laughs> that's system. That's the first time I heard that. I like it. Yeah. The PFC, man. The best thing I heard is imagine a ferrari with brakes or a ferrari with no brakes that's kind of yeah. our brains are it's like a ferrari but when we're like when we're young like 18 19 no brakes. there's no brakes and uh so what journaling does is it really 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 helps engage that and gets that thing going so awesome uh other than journaling and writing any other key habits that you know to your success uh, you know, um, uh, avid reader. I love to read. Uh, uh, I read my Bible. Uh, I love to read my Bible. Uh, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I call myself a Christian and I, that means I should know what that means. I should I know what it means who, who Christ is. And, and, uh, so I've, I, yeah, I've, I read my Bible, man. I read my Bible. I, uh, follow a good plan i it actually it's kind of cool there's a couple guys that follow the same plans and throughout the world and we catch up with each other and bounce questions off each other that's kind of kind of neat that that i know there's a couple guys out there doing it with me and uh awesome um and it's so much uh so much rich knowledge and wisdom and and just, it's yeah it's just that i feel like i'll be reading my bible my entire life there's just so much in that man yeah, I definitely got some catching up to do there. So, yeah. um, sounds like a good circle to be a part of with that group. Uh, let's see. All right. 
if you could go back and tell your younger self to do something different, what would you say? Oh, man. Don't quit. Um, don't give up. You know, um, it's funny. Like, uh, I remember in high school, you know, I, I had a lot, I had a focus issue, discipline issue. Um, I didn't have a strong hand in my life at that time. And one of those things was school academics and, um, you know, the classic, well, I love history. I love geography. I love, you know, so I'm good at that stuff, but I don't like math. So, you know what? Yeah. You tell yourself, I'm not good at math. So you fell out of algebra <laughs> two, you fell out of geometry. And then you just tell yourself, you know, I'm just not good at it. You know, it's just not in my genes. Yeah. But the truth is I just didn't know how to work hard or I quit. And, um, I didn't do the homework. I didn't put the effort into it. And, you know, so the first time you fail, at least the first time I failed, that kind of gets into your psyche, kind of gets into your DNA. Um, and, that, and, I, and I've learned in life that does something to you, man. It really, really does something to you. Sometimes there are some things that can take you a long time to get it out. And, sure. and, and, and for me, I would have told myself, hey, man, don't quit. Don't give up. You're smart. You're not stupid. You know, um, you can do this. You know, you just got to work harder. It's worth it. You know, because, you know, going back to the story of the Naval Academy, I remember the first time I walked on campus as a, when I first got there and I walked around, I'm like, just blown away. And, and I thought I was kind of a little mad, actually. I was kind of a little mad. I was like, why didn't anybody tell me about this place? And I was like, I never <laughs> knew this existed. Me neither in high school, I just, you know, luck of the draw. Yeah, I guess so. So, but, but obviously, you know, I would have had to work really hard. I would have had to take academics serious. I would have had to apply myself and, and be competitive against a lot of, you know, uh, applicants, but I didn't have that type of focus or discipline at that age, man. And, um, so I would go back and say, Hey man, put the work in. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't be afraid. Because um, that's what it boils down to. It's that, you know, you let that fear, that, that fear set in. And then you lie, you like you lie to yourself, man. You, you, you tell yourself all sorts of lies and you believe them. And, and that yeah. affects so much, man. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was looking through, it's funny you bring that up. I was looking through my transcript the other day to see what was my actual GPA. Because I don't remember exactly what it was. I wrote it down. I think, yeah, it was a 2.35, <laughs> but yeah. And most of the good grades came on, came about in junior and senior year. It wasn't early, earlier on. It was like barely telling the line. I even had a semester. It was like one point something. I think second semester played year. And you know, chemistry wasn't great. Uh, but all the ones that I liked, all the classes I liked were pretty good. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, no, man. It's, um, gosh, man. Um, it's funny for me. Uh, actually, I always knew I wanted to go to college, especially as I got older. And uh, it took me 10 years to get a associate's degree in the Navy. And that was like old school before the internet. I would go to classes on base and things like that. And uh, I, I banged out uh most of my classes i think it was like 20 classes i banged out 18 of them in like a year and a half just you know you know full-time job family going to school that's that type of thing 
and then I got to math, which I put off toward the end, right? So fast forward 10 years after failing algebra two, two times in high school, because, you know, I lied to myself. And so I procrastinated so much, I put it off to the end and it was like a new was kind of looming there. And then I still kind of bought into the lie. And then the worst thing, I just walked away from it. I walked away from my associate's degree. And I told myself, well, I'm going back to see, I'm, I got to focus on my operational, I got to focus on my job. I got to focus, you know, you lie to yourself. But the truth is, yeah. you know, you're just, you're afraid. I'm a, I was, I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to have to face, uh, you know, paying back money or I didn't want to face, you know, my, you know, my family or my friends tell them I failed because the last time I took these classes, I failed, you know, 10 years yeah. prior. And, uh, but it wasn't until, you know, I had, my wife really just kind of came alongside me, encouraged me. And, and actually she went to like a preparatory class with me. Uh, that's one thing I, she, she took a algebra preparatory college algebra preparatory class with me alongside with me. And then, awesome. uh, and then I finally mustered the courage and went to uh, after hours uh, college algebra class in 2013. So 10 years, maybe 11 years when I started my associates to 11 years later, I'm finally in college algebra. And I put the effort in, I put the work in, I do the work I, and I get an A, I get an A. And yep. it's like, what the heck? I'm actually, I actually like this stuff and, <laughs> and I get an That's associate's. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I go to back, I get my bachelor's later and then, you know, I'm taking statistics and I'm taking college level accounting and it's all math and, and I'm actually good at this stuff. And, but you lie, like you lie to yourself and you tell yourself these lies and you believe it. You just, you just didn't, I just didn't put the work in and I didn't put the effort in. I was, I was, a, I was a coward and uh, yeah, it's, so I would go back and say, "Hey, man, don't be a coward. Yeah, tough up, no, don't quit." That's a good a good story to uh, help others with. You know, like I'm sure you have a million times, or you, you have a million stories to relate and all that kind of stuff. But uh, that was that was good. Okay, uh, self awareness. How do you reflect? How do you remain self aware? How do you make sure uh, that you're on the right course? Well, there's two ways. First way is 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 my wife she lets me know <laughs> yep uh she is uh you know she's closest to me and she's seen me at my worst she sees me she's seen me at my best she sees my shortfalls and i come up short i just came up short yesterday <laughs> and um and uh and and yeah so she lets me know and and it, and because we've got that good bond and i love her and and i want to do right by her and my family and it you know that it hits close to home and it makes me examine myself really like okay what am, what am i not doing what no um that's one way another way is you know just uh through my journaling that's very helpful uh gotcha. figured you'd say that yeah my bible reading is very helpful it's a good way of of searing straight to your heart and convicting you um, and then, you know, I, I, I like to surround myself with a lot of good people, man, good guys. Uh, and one of the things that you mentioned is I, I lead a Bible study uh, everywhere I've gone. And I would say in the last 10 years, I, I managed to surround myself with good men. And, uh, I always tell people, if you want to be a better man, you surround yourself with better men. It's very simple. And, yeah. um, and I, so I surround myself with good men that are better than me. 
and we come up with some routine that we meet, we eat, we, we share, we read, we laugh together. We, we do it on a regular, like, so, um, that's always helpful. Right. So whenever you, and I always find myself leading these groups for some reason, um, which is, which is funny, which I always find really, really funny is I'm the most unqualified guy, but I find myself always leading these things. And that's just funny how life works sometimes. But, um, or I guess to my point, to your question is I've learned when you pour yourself into other people, you allow people to be poured into you. That makes any sense. Um, so that's very helpful. It's very helpful to me. So I you know, to always pour into other people. My wife says it really good. She says, you know, making sure your life is uh, outward focused, not always inward focused, you know. And that's kind of what she what she's talking about is when you make a good part of, part of your life about other people, it really opens it up to people to pour into you, really. Gotcha. So that's that's another way. Um, awesome. Yeah. Um Really random question here. You ever run into a guy named Jervia Loda in the fleet? Sure. No, yeah, he's the so. captain of a ship. Okay, he's a Navy football. He's a um, previous guest, but you've been around a while. I figured I'd, have, I'd ask. Yeah, no, I don't think I so. I don't think y'all are any similar ships, but, you know. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, let's see. Biggest struggle that you're working through today? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, you alluded to it. We talked about it uh, in emails. It's truth, man. Um, truth. Uh, you know, what is truth, right? That's the age old question. It's been asked for thousands of years. What is truth, right? You know, um, but when I look at my life in retrospect in different parts of my life, even today as a, as a, you know, as a professional, as a family man, as a husband, you know, Man, sometimes it's hard, man. It's hard to face the truth. And whether it's, you know, whether it's a little white lie or it's a big, fat, you know, cheat, you know, it's all, it's all about truth, right? It's all about, you know, good and bad, light and dark, you know. Um, um, you know, for me, it's one thing that I feel like God's been working in my life over the last 10 years. It's just facing truth and it could be even something simple as hey just being honest with my wife you know like i even a, a basic example of where i was terrible at and this is like a small example uh tell my wife i want to be home at five o'clock which is a lie <laughs> and it's like <laughs> hey babe i'm coming home at five o'clock and you know after a while yeah so it, hey babe the goal is five o'clock yeah there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> So it got to a point where my wife, she called me on it. She said, don't lie to me. You're lying to me. And I think that really hit home when she put it that way. I was like, I'm lying to my wife because I know I'm not going to be home anywhere around that time. Because the truth is, you know, there's just one more thing I want to do. There's just one more thing I want to get done. And, And so that's a basic example of facing truth, you know. It's interesting how I was telling, I was speaking to my unit today about this. I don't know why it came up, but uh, uh, I was talking about, you know, fear and truth. And and uh, and it's interesting that 
as a as a man as a as a as a master chief of 29 years you know when i got my mask on when i got my uniform on i can sit there and i can talk to a, a thousand people and i can bark orders and i can the confidence and i can i can just be that person they, they that they're looking for but i have a hard time of just facing my wife and telling her the truth sometimes because i'm afraid of i don't know being a fake or being a liar or uh you know it's just it's really interesting and so yeah. battling through that's one example of it you know another example is um you know uh being authentic as a person right um I think one of the things that really hit home for me a couple of years ago, there was a guy that I was developing this relationship in the Navy, peer in my in the Navy, and and he was kind of going through some tough times, and and we we were having some deep conversations about life, death, and and I and I just kind of happened to mention like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, and he literally said to me, he's like, really? He's like, I would have never guessed that, and I really took offense to that. I was like, what do you mean? Like what? Like and I'm like, and that really, really messed me up. And I was like, like, am I just this, you know, am I, you know, when I, when I really thought about it, when I really examined it, I just, I'm not, sometimes I'm not authentic. I'm not real. Um, sometimes I'm maybe a little too PC or maybe I sugarcoat things a little bit or, or, you know, it, there's a balance of, you don't want to be a jerk, right? There's a balance of, you don't, uh, want to go too far over the edge and you're just that guy who's always complaining or whatever you're you know whatever there's there's a balance i get that but sometimes i think i'm guilty of just not being not being truthful not being authentic to who i am and uh so i've wrestled with that in in latter years especially behind closed doors when i'm talking to people you know as a command master as a leader you know you you're you're I'm, you know you're in the back of your mind oh is someone going to complain about what i said is someone going to uh, be offended yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't talk about religion in the workplace, you know, or, you know, those are the things that you lie to yourself and you, you tell yourself, but the truth is I found that it's, it's actually not, it's not true. And I found that when I'm just real and authentic and, and if I'm just, Hey, I always shape it up. Hey, this is, this is, this is in my experience, or Hey, this is what I believe, or Hey, this is what I found in my life. Um, and if I just kind of expose, Hey, this is me. This is what I believe. This is this is what's worked in my life, and I've I've come to find that when I'm honest with people, um, it really it's really impactful. It really it really touches people, and people, um, I feel like I really connect with people that way. Uh, versus, gotcha. in the back of my mind, I'm afraid of what people think. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah. And, and it's just not facing the truth, man. Being fearful, man. It's it's. Yeah. Fearful. Fears. Fear is a great motivator. I don't mean great as in like awesome. I mean, great as in like from a weight standpoint. Um, but there's one thing that's better than, than fear and that's hope. I think at least I read it in a book somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about that a little bit lately. Yeah. Um, but good stuff. Um, I got to pull out an old Johnny Cash quote, and that was, uh, trust gets you killed, love gets you hurt, but being real gets you hated. Um, maybe on a 
a mass scale, but like when you get into your cliques, your your groups, your circles, the right people, um, sounds like the truth will set you free, right? Yeah, and sometimes no, sometimes the truth. Uh, you know, I've experienced this in my in, in my uh, my career. Um, sometimes when you finally tell people what they need to hear, what they really need to hear, that's one of my jobs. One of my jobs as a command master chief, what the Navy pays me to do is to what they what the way they it's called unsolicited feedback is be truthful. Tell it like it is. That's that's kinda that's what the Navy pays me to tell it like it is. Uh, and uh and I, that's one of the first best advice I got from my CEO before I went to be a command master chief like six years ago. He's like, Hey, he told me he on on my outgoing interview, he said, Hey, um, the biggest disservice you can do is not be honest. And, and unfortunately, I, I, I hate to say it, I think the first couple of years in, in my job, my role, I, was, I, I wasn't honest, you know, I was fearful. And, but when I started to, to learn to be honest, and that, and that takes a lot of courage, man. It takes a lot of courage to tell. Yeah, because there could be some personal cost to that, right? And, there, and in my experience, there was, you know, um, some of the groups I was leading, um, you know, they hated me. They didn't like me. Um, I didn't, didn't make a lot of friends and I wasn't favored. And, uh, you know, some bosses I worked for didn't like me and, uh, and which caused for very challenging relationships and work environments. And which meant that I buried that stress and, you know, it was, it was, it was a hard couple of years, man. It was, um, facing truth, facing, uh, those things and saying the things that I really need to say because it needs to be said. Yeah. Um, man, it's hard, man. Was there a light bulb that went off after those couple of years or an event? Uh, yeah. Um, there was, um, so I was kind of going through a really tough time. It was on, it was, uh, it was on a deployment and, uh, and I was kind of at an impasse, uh, with one of my bosses and, and it just, you know, and rightfully so it, uh, you know, it was, it was a tough time. We're all just doing the best we can. And sometimes even when everybody does the best they can, it just doesn't work. Right. And when I look back, you know, um, some things need to be said by me and, and I wasn't saying them and I wasn't sticking up for people. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't speaking truth when truth needed to be spoke, and I wasn't uh, calling people on their stuff when people needed to be, to be uh, exposed. And uh, wow. and it led to a lot of sleepless nights, and it led to me getting to a point of just deep depression, probably. Uh, I remember the, the turning point for me, I was laying in my rack on deployment, and... Uh, staring at my rack it's like two two in the morning and i can't sleep and i'm just going through the last conversation going through the whole thing what i said what was said what happened and i just can't rest at two in the morning and i knew right then at that moment i knew i was in trouble and uh and i knew i needed help and so you know you do like what you tell everybody else to do like hey go go see the chaplain hey go talk to this counselor go get help. You know, that's what you tell people to do. Right. Sometimes we kind of, 
we don't do that for ourselves. You know, I wasn't doing it for myself. And so I finally, uh, I, uh, I went and talked to the chaplain and, and I was fearful. I was afraid of letting all of it out because I was afraid of the repercussions. I was afraid I would get in trouble. I was afraid people would get in trouble. I was afraid my, I would get fired. I was afraid, uh, you know, the mission wouldn't get completed because I felt like I was, by me being quiet, I was keeping everything together and planes were still flying and mission was still being accomplished because I was, I was just not rocking the boat basically. And, uh, yeah. and, but I, what I was doing, I was just running myself in the ground. And, and I remember, it, this is, I remember, uh, I was in the chaplain's office and I'm just, I start pouring her all out like, ah, and I'm saying, this guy did this, this guy did that, you know, I'm venting about what somebody else is doing. And we like, you know, I'm doing this basically, right? Mm -hmm. I'm pointing the fingers, right? And uh, he listens to me and takes it all in. He says, okay. And, and he says, and, and this, was, this was my boss. And he says, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a professed Christian. And, and, and the chaplain knows this. We have a good relationship. And he asked me one question that, that rocked my world. He said to me, he says, well, have you prayed for him? And it's like, what? I prayed for him. I was, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't like the guy. I had to pray for him. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, um, and he did it. He did what I call a Jedi mind trick on me. Uh, he said, I'll tell you what, I, I like this already. Oh yeah. He said, uh, he, he said, I'll tell you what, he said, let's, <laughs> let's pray for him. So he said, what's his name? And I told him his name. I'm not going to say his name. And he <laughs> writes his, he writes his name on a piece of paper and he drops the paper on the ground and says, come on in, let's, let's pray. And comes in, pulls me in, we bow our heads and puts the paper on the ground. So we're both staring at it. He goes, all right, you start first. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, silence. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't say anything. He, he wasn't letting me off the hook. He's like, come on, you, you know what to pray for. You know exactly what to pray for. Go ahead. Still silence. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was just like, man, what I realized, what he was showing me is just how hard my heart was. Like my heart was so hard against yeah. this one person that I, I was, I was blind. I couldn't even see past my own pride. I couldn't even see past, you know, my own shortfalls. All I could do was point fingers. Right. And, uh, so I, uh, I, I remember just staring at this piece of paper and, and it seemed like forever. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and it's hard, I, right? Because pointing, pointing fingers is an easy, yeah. easy way. Right? So he pushed me, encouraged me, and he didn't pray. He just waited. And uh, so I started praying. And I started praying for him. And, and, and when I pray for him, man, it's just, it's just like I let go, and man. Weight, yeah, weight was lifted, maybe. Gosh, man, I... I I'm being honest, man. I cried like a baby in there, man. I just, man, but I kept praying. And because I, I knew what to pray for. I knew exactly what to pray for. And, but my heart was so hard. 
Um, and here I am like, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe this. I believe that. But yeah, you're also, also human, though. True. Absolutely. So it just, man, it just poured out of me, man. And yeah, weight was lifted off of me. And I walked out of there. I was like, oh, my gosh. And it changed my perspective. But, you know, the funny thing is it didn't change anything. Like the circumstances didn't change. What changed was me, which was the most yes. important thing. And, and my heart that was hard was softened. And it changed how I looked at things. And it changed how I interacted with my, with my boss and with my, my people. And, and uh, which, man, I, I had to humble myself a lot. I had to eat some gravel. I had to, you know, I had to be the leader that I wasn't, I wasn't being, you know. And, yeah. uh, and nothing changed and that individual ended up leaving and, and it got a little bit better once leadership changed, but you know, a lot of that stuff was still there, you know, uh, and some of that stuff takes a while to get out and deployment doesn't help. COVID doesn't help. Um, but some of that stuff really carried on, you know, that, uh, those scars are there, man. And, but most importantly, I think, um, to your to your question like that was a pivotal moment for me in, in me as a as a man as a leader as a um realizing that uh that if you know if you harden your heart man and you, you can't you know you let that pride sit in man it, it blinds you man yeah um brought it up on a couple of episodes so far but you know it's okay to look back don't stare don't stare that's yeah. that that look back stares uh as a problem right can really yeah. mess you up for sure yeah been there been there as well um let's see um, i'll cut this part out because you got me you got you got my oodle loop it's good stuff um I guess anything else within your career that you wanted to share before I ask you what your price of admission is? Um, I'm going to share two things about you that uh -oh. I remember and you brought it up and it's, it, uh -oh. and it, it ties in perfect. No, it ties in perfect to what I, what I was talking about. <laughs> so going back to the Naval Academy, you know, I, um, people were really, I think, I don't think people were really happy. I picked you as a company commander. Um, Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there are reasons, you know, there, I had different reasons. Uh, one of the reasons was you, you were an outlier. I wanted an outlier. Uh, but there's, there's two moments that you and I had that I'd never forget. And it stuck with me. It was truth. It was honesty. And the first time was, uh, it, I don't know if you remember that. I think you were a junior or a sophomore. Something happened at, at Paramount Kings Dominion or, or it was um yeah i got in trouble um, you got in trouble right yep so word got back to me and i came to yep. you i came to your room the lot i came looking for you because i got the <laughs> nasty note right and yep. i got told that i got told to handle it and uh so i came looking for you walked down six six hall and it was actually i think you were at the time you were down like six to one so i had to walk far and knocked on the door and you were there and you answered and I was like, what happened? Tell me what happened. What the heck? Um, and uh, 
and I think did it enforce it like underage drinking or something? Yeah, it was a, a buddy of mine, Andy Lark, and I were. Well, it was a big group of us. Like you talked about yeah. in the beginning, you know, no PFC. Um, I, big group of us. We I bought it the alcohol, uh, and bef- it was like early in the morning before we go to Bush Gardens. Is what it was. Yeah. And so uh, our, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. He, he ends up getting you know belligerent, arrested. Yeah. He got he arrested. arrested. Yep. And I was his buddy. Yep. So, so it I came brought. back to me, and I remember going to your room and asking you, and you told me, you told me what happened, and I remember thinking to myself. Is he telling the truth? Because it was kind of like you just told me, and but I remember just I remember looking at you, and I remember making I looking in your eyes, and and it was sincere. I I got this uh, feeling of sincerity, and and it's I I think it just dropped after that. I, I didn't really do anything. I didn't pursue it. I just was like, okay, all yeah, right. I went through all the boards, got in trouble, got my sentence yeah. for summer, and yeah. Yeah. So, but I remember that, right? That was, you were just honest with me and, and, and that stuck with me and right? that really, really stuck with me. That was, our, I, I think it was our first real interaction. And then, um, I think your it might've been your senior year. You got in trouble for missing class or I got a nasty gram from your, one of your professors and they, they reached out to me and I need your help. This football player, Tony Haber keeps missing my class or something like that. I need you to look into it, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, and, and that was pretty customary. I would get those notes from professors and, and I would, you know, I would interject on behalf of the professor, like, like as a parent, right? So I remember I, I called you in my office and you came and talked to me and, and I think I pulled it up in mids and I was like, what's up with all this stuff? Why are you missing all these classes? And I remember your response. I couldn't believe it. It was almost, it shocked me. Do you remember what you told me? I don't. No, I'm interested. You, you said to me, you said, senior sheep, that's the only time I can shit. <laughs> you said, that's nice. the time, that's the time oh. I have to go. And that's the only time I can go. And uh. I, and my, my schedule is so busy with football and class and all these things. That's the only time. And that's when I go. So I'm sorry. And you told me that's the only time I can go. <laughs> And at first, at first, your answer, I was kind of like, huh? But then going back to like, I remember like just the sincerity, your, your, your honesty, like you didn't, you didn't balk. You just told me the truth. And I was just like, it really caught me off guard, but it wasn't the first time. And, um, so I, I tell you, um, like that stuck with me, man, that, that all that equated to your character, your credibility, your trustworthiness. So, like when I thought of should I make Tony Haber the company commander, I was like, absolutely. Like it was easy. I was like, like you proved to me um, you can be a football player, you can go to school, but when things don't go right, you can just be honest about it because that's that's life, right? Sometimes yeah. things don't go right, and sometimes we make mistakes, and sometimes we come up short. But if you own it and just be honest, we just move on. And that's kind of what we did. I remember in both cases, we just moved on. And yeah. it wasn't a big deal. And, and that's still, so I share that with you and with this group because that, that's something that where you really, you really, uh, 
uh, made it easy for me to pick you as a company commander uh, because of, of, of you and that honesty in those situations. Uh, yeah, man, I was, I don't regret it. Man, those are good memories. Um, thanks for bringing up that second one. I've never, um, <laughs> I don't remember that, but it's, yeah. uh, I wish I could go back and try and remember that one. Good stuff. Um, all right. Price of admission. How would you summarize it? Uh, you know, I, I thought about this and I'm like, okay, price admission to what? You know, price to what? What am I trying to get into? You know, I try to think about it and nerd it out. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's like I told you, man, it's, it's, it's truthfulness, man, truth. And um, there's, there's definitely, when I look back in my life, there's things that have come up short in my life and different areas of my life. And I look back and a lot of it was just me not being honest, man. Me not being honest with myself, me not being honest with those around me that I love. Because um, sometimes the truth hurts, man. And sometimes delivering the truth hurts because you know it hurts. So you don't want to do it. You don't want to say it. You don't want to, you don't want to watch people go through it. And, and, but the truth, but, but the reality is they, they want that from you. They want the, the truth. They want to hear it. They want to be, uh, um, corrected or disciplined or pulled back in. And, and they're just yeah. like, they're just, earning for it and you refuse to give it and um so there's times in my in my life and my, you know my marriage and uh my professional life that i've i wasn't honest man i wasn't truthful and 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 i tell guys all this time and it's truth lying which is the opposite of truthfulness you know most folks will say what well, way it works is i ask guys what does it mean to lie and most answers I get from men are, well, it's when, uh, you know, when I don't tell the truth. Okay, Captain Obvious, you're right. But is that it? And most most guys never come up with the other part. So the other part of lying is omitting the truth, right? So when we admit truths or when we admit parts of truths or certain details of truth, that's still lying. And so we're not being truthful. So I'm guilty of that, man. I'm guilty of omitting certain parts to make people maybe feel better or maybe to not rock the boat or I'm fearful what people will think about me. And um, so I think I've come up short, man. So my price of mission is this truthfulness, man. And if I want to continue to do good things, man, I got to learn to be honest, man. I got to learn to be truthful and, and not worry about what people are going to say, not worry about, um, not worry about it, you know, let it just gotcha. fall the way it's going to fall. Absolutely. hundred percent. Awesome. Um, what'd you learn today? It wasn't that bad. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I like to hear that. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I get, there, there's, I got a few that are on the fence still, so I hope they listen to us. Um, and forgive me for not knowing this because you always know mine. What's your wife's name? Candace. Candace. Tell Candace 
thank you for your time tonight. And then you got a, a couple of kiddos, right? I do. I got four. I've got uh, four. Four. Goodness. So uh, there were two kids I had. They were always around the, the hall back then. They yep. were, uh, at the time, they were like 10 and 6, I think. Now they're 24 and 22. One's a school teacher and one just finished school and they're doing great. One's married. Uh, awesome. And then, I, and then uh, you know, uh, so, you know, I was married before I got divorced and uh, remarried. And my wife, Candace, and I, we have two girls together, uh, almost 10 and almost 6. And uh, so we, uh, yeah, we're here. We're here in Italy. Awesome. They will definitely be uh, cultured kids, which is, uh, they won't realize it for a while, um, but provides a lot of value. So, Absolutely, man. Good stuff. Well, good I'll, talk. Uh, I'll let you go. Uh, appreciate the talk today, and uh, it was awesome. It was great. It was, man. It's good seeing you, good talking to you. Um, you know, thanks for staying connected over the years, man. I, I really enjoy it. 100% right back at you. All right, brother.